Greetings in the Lord Jesus. Good to be back again two weeks later. All right, I have my outline on the wall, or well, it's actually kind of an outline of a psalm. Anybody uh, take the time to figure out what psalm it is? Just curious. Okay. If I'd come to church and saw that, I'd have worked on it. But the, All right, Psalm 147 we want to look at this morning. Psalm 147. It's thought that this was a psalm that uh, may have been sung in Nehemiah's time after the wall was built. Don't know that for sure, but may have been. <coughs> it's got three stanzas, and I put my titles there on them. Actually, that's my wife's writing, in case you wondered. Mine wouldn't be quite that neat. <coughs> I'm used to uh, preaching with a blackboard behind me, so... I don't have that here, so we prepared before we came. The title this morning is, It is Good to Praise God. It is Good to Praise God. Well, let's read it. Psalm 147, stanza 1. Five praiseworthy truths about our God. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem... He gathers together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart. He bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Stanza two. Two great truths about God's nature. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow up on the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. And then stanza three, God sustains and blesses his own special people. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion, for he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon the earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word, and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow, and the waters flow. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes, and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Read through Psalms recently and just finished up. But in these last five Psalms all start and end the same way. Praise ye the Lord, or Hallelujah. And I just always sort of saw them as general praise songs, but this particular time, this one caught my eye, so uh, I thought we would talk about it. Stanza one. Five praiseworthy truths. Well, I think probably verse one is somewhat introductory. It's good to praise our God. It is good to sing. It's good for me to praise God. It's good for you to praise God. Do you do it? What's the first thing you do when you start to pray in the morning? Does it make a difference to specifically, intentionally 
daily, often praise our God. It's a good thing. It's good to sing to our God. It's pleasant to do. Delightful. Something we enjoy doing when we consider who he is, who we are, and what he's done for us and what he is doing for us. It's a pleasure to praise our God. We've got every reason in the world to do it. It's comely. It's fitting. It's appropriate. It's becoming to us to praise God. And besides, besides all that, worship, praising God, is the one way to get our minds off ourselves and our circumstances and on to the only one who gives us what we need to live above those circumstances. And I'll admit, coming here and worshiping this morning was good for me, sitting there and singing those songs and, and forcing my mind to think about them, because right now there's some, quite a few other things my mind would rather go to and think about. I mean, let's just say I got problems, okay? <clears throat> uh, you have any? Uh, Job one day was having a good day until the messenger started coming in, one right after the other, wham, bang, whop, bang, and he ended up flat on his face before the Lord, worshiping. What would you have done? Why did he worship? Why did he praise God at a time like that? Paul and Silas, there at Philippi, preaching the gospel. Paul finally got tired of that girl and, and healed her. And they got into trouble. They got dragged into the, before the magistrates. They got whipped into a bloody pulp, probably. This was a Roman whipping. Thrown into jail in the stocks. Okay, put your feet in the stocks. Have a bloody pulpy back that you can't get comfortable. Any way you turn. And what did they do? And why did they do it? They praised God. Why? I think because they did it to keep their sanity, partly. To, to rise above those circumstances and praise God anyway. It's good to praise God. Well, why <laughs> praise God? Verses 2 to 6 give us five ultimate truths, I guess we could call them, about God that make him worthy of our praise, that make him worthy of our trust and love. And the focus of the psalm is not praise, the focus of the psalm is the one we are praising. Who he is, what he does for us. You see, choosing to worship and to praise him will, will, will remind us, will help us to also trust him for what he does for us, what he has done. We look back and see, we praise him for that, and we, we know what he can do for us tomorrow. And I need that, whether you do or not. Sometimes we sing, where could I go but to the Lord? Maybe it's not in any of your little songs. Maybe it is in that little book y'all use for nursing homes. You used to it anyway. I don't know. Where could I go but to the Lord? But then we go somewhere else. We get frantic and we start to fret and we worry and we do everything we can to get through our problems <laughs> instead of turning to him. And we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded with its ideas and ideologies and ways of looking at things in such a world we must choose to look to our God we must praise him 
All right, praise him then. Why? Verse 2. Only he builds up his people. The church. Yeah, it's Jerusalem here, but this is Old Testament. We're New Testament. It's only he that gathers the outcasts, us outcasts, us lost people, people who would be lost without him completely. He does it. We're hopeless. It's only God that could have delivered me out of my old lifestyle of sin. It's only God that could deliver you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He gathers us together. Notice that word together there. We're no longer lonely, lost. We're no longer on our own. We're his children. We're part of his kingdom. The good news of the kingdom we read about in our lesson. There's a body. He has a people. His own special people. Mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters a hundredfold, Jesus said. With persecution. We've been translated out of loneliness and lostness into his kingdom, his family. Together. He builds up Jerusalem. He builds the city of God, the temple of God, the family of God, the church. Us. He makes us into a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's our memory work at Stralsburg, so I know it. A spiritual house, a holy nation. He builds up Jerusalem. And he is doing it. He's building me up. He's building you up. He's building us up together. So we thank him and we praise him and we beg him and we keep on asking him to do it and trusting him to do it in me, in us. So we praise him. Well, we praise him. Why? Verse 3. Only he heals broken hearts. Only he binds up wounds. We humans tend to carry our baggage with us, and it kind of can drag us down. It doesn't have wheels. We have to carry it. (laughs) I've done it, and probably you have too, this terrible thing that happened to me back there. That's why I am the way I am, and I can't help it. might be my own sins, might be other sins against me, but I can't have victory in this particular area of life now because of what happened to me back there. We say those kinds of things. That's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the devil. God heals broken hearts. He binds up wounds. That thinking flies directly in the face of everything that the Bible teaches about God. My God's able. Is yours? He can deliver us from, and he can keep us from repeating the dysfunctions of our families we grew up in. God heals broken hearts. He delivers us out of those things. My father was a drunkard. I broke that cycle. My brother didn't, but anyway... God made the difference. And I could go find you someone who spent decades outside the church because of what so-and-so did. It's their fault. 
Well, it's not their fault. <laughs> or people refuse to take responsibility for their own sins because, well, my mother, she wasn't very nice to me. And I just can't handle this. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord takes me out. God heals broken hearts. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Actually, this was quoted from Isaiah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. He heals broken hearts. Well, verse 4, praise him because he counts, he determines, he counts the number of the stars. He knows the name of each. Now, the word could mean determines, it could mean counts, either one. How many stars are there? Well, They tell me, <laughs> in the observable universe, whatever that means, one billion trillion stars. 21 zeros, if you're counting. Uh, now, that's a number that's just completely beyond us. They also tell me that the scientists gave up trying to count, even with the computers. You know how long it would take to count that many stars, <laughs> even with a fast computer? They gave up because the observable universe keeps growing, and he knows them all by name. So, in contrast, how many people do you know by name? We're Mennonites. We'll do a little better than a lot of people. But you're, gonna, you're not going to make it to a 1,000 probably. I don't know. It's hard telling. How many English words do you know the meaning of? Well enough to define, perhaps. <clears throat> it's not going to be very many. He knows every star. He knows the size. He knows the makeup. He knows... How many atoms it takes to make it up? Anything else you could think of about that? And what's more, that's only scratching the surface. If we give God a, a thousand megabyte memory, how much of it you think that would take out of that? Zilch. I mean, maybe a little. <laughs> well, anyway. Now, we've got 10 billion known galaxies with a trillion billion stars, and they're not out there banging into each other and having accidents and problems. Everything's in order, exactly where it belongs. In the United States, you've got 264 million automobiles. See, one million is, well, less than this amount, anyway. Accident all the time. God has it under control. All those stars. 
And you're worried that he can't handle your problems. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't it? At least, if that's me, it is. <clears throat> well, praise him, verse 5, because he knows and understands everything. Only he knows and understands everything, and only he has all power. His understanding is infinite. Just talk about the seven billion people or so on earth, which, by the way, is probably more than you could count in your lifetime, too. Every thought, longing, hair on their head, anything about them, he knows it totally, including yours. The disappointments, the longings of our hearts, all wide open before him. The secret sins, the things we allow our minds to, those bunny trails we allow them to go down sometimes that are wrong or right, whichever. He knows those things completely. And along with that, he has complete power. He is of great power. My personal problems and struggles, not a big deal to him. He's got the answer. Your relationships with your brothers and sisters, your parents, your children. He has the answers. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given unto him. So just ask. You have problems at work, perplexity with your children, trying to figure out how to whatever. He has the power to help, he has the wisdom, he has the knowledge, and he's ready to help. The Lord gives wisdom. He's given us his book, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his people, he's given us his promise, promises. Through the knowledge of him, we have everything that pertains unto life and godliness. We have it there for the taking. Praise him. Well, verse 6, praise him. Why? Because he will always exalt the meek and lowly, and he will always reward the wicked totally, fairly, for their wickedness. And, and this is an immutable law of God. We know that from the New Testament. Well, they old do. God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Lord lifteth up the meek. The meek doesn't lift up himself. A meek person does not do that. God does it for him. Because he is meek. But he does it only for the meek. So humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he shall exalt you in due time. The person who does lift himself up is wicked, and God will put him down. He who exalts himself will be put down. He that abases himself shall be lifted up. Only God. God does it. Only God does it. Why praise him? Actually, let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read a couple of verses, a few verses there. Go right along with that. Paul 
Paul was talking about this thing of great greatness and not so greatness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, things which do not even exist, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He exalts the meek and lowly. He rewards the wicked. And we are saved by the foolishness of preaching. We are foolish enough to base our lives on a 2,000-year-old book plus and live by it. Well, stanza two, two great truths about God's nature. And it starts out again with an introductory verse, I would say, sing, sing with thanksgiving, give thanks. You don't like to sing? Well, decide to like to sing. <laughs> it's a command, and uh, God says do it. It's probably a pretty good idea. Verses 8 and 9, praise him. This is the first reason, the two great truths, the first great truth. <laughs> he is a good and giving God whose good gifts sustain every living thing. And all those billions and trillions of stars out there somewhere, we're here on this one teeny tiny little speck of dust. But he focuses particularly on that one minute speck of dust, our earth, and he cares for it. The beasts on it, the animals, and the people on it. Clouds, rain, grass, food for the animals, even the birds. He's a good and giving God whose good gifts sustain every living thing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Well, verses 10 and 11, praise him. Why? Because of what God takes pleasure in, and also because of what he does not take pleasure in, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the strength of a man. The things that 
that men who go to war particularly would take pleasure in. He does not take pleasure in fast runners, great football, basketball, volleyball players, softball, or whatever. Not in powerful or nice cars, pickups, motorcycles, not in nice tools, equipment, shops. Not in rifles, muzzle loaders, bows, fishing equipment, boats. Not in computers or tablets or iPhones or apps. Not in nice homes or furniture, bank accounts, money, antiques, collectible stuff. Not in sewing machines, sergers, appliances, cookware, kitchenery. Not in freezers full of food, libraries full of books, CDs, or what have you. Not even in great preachers, or good preachers, or poor preachers. Maybe he does if they do a good job right. Not in successful businesses, not in new or efficient equipment, not in paychecks, not in the bottom line. These are not things God takes delight in. But in one thing, in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy, human beings who fear him and look to him for mercy. People who realize their lostness, their lostness without him, and they turn to him and they live that way. Those people he takes pleasure in. The only thing. Seems like that should tell us something about how we ought to live. The prophet told King Asa, I think it was, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for what he takes pleasure in to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God is there. God is watching. He's looking for somebody to turn to him in faith so that he can help them. Well, that's going to be me. Is it going to be you? That's what he takes pleasure in. Wow. <laughs> and so, why should I fret? Why should I worry? Why should I... Um, I guess all worry is almost always about the future. Have you ever noticed? Things that might happen, may happen, could happen, even will happen. But anyway... The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And he has someone he wants to take pleasure in. I want to be in that line. I want to be right there. So praise him. Again, praise helps us to do that. It's hard to, to have a heart of unbelief while you're praising, while you're thanking God, while you're focusing on his goodness. It's not real hard at all, though, when you're discouraged. When you're worrying, when you're fretting, well, that's just unbelief anyway, isn't it? So praise him because of what he takes pleasure in as well as what he does not take pleasure in. Well, stanza three. God sustains and blesses his own special people. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. 
Praise thy God, O Zion. Well, again, we're in the Old Testament, so we're talking, he's talking to his people. God's, God had his eye on that place, on those people. Praise the Lord, you Christians, you church people, you're part of his body. Because you are his peculiar people. Now, in the New Testament, that word peculiar doesn't mean peculiar like we use it. It means his own special possession. And maybe carries a little idea of his own special purchased possession. His holy people. Praise him because, well, verse 12, thy God. He is thy God. He's your God. And you read the Bible through and you'll find a a phrase like this fairly often. They shall be my people and I will be their God. I haven't counted them yet. I mean to one day. But anyway, it's through the whole Bible. The last couple, we saw a couple weeks ago in the Sunday school class, I think, Revelation 21, where, where it becomes complete reality. They shall be my people and I will be their God. That's what God wants. Praise him because he wants it and praise him to, to do it. Well, verse 13, praise him for he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. It's only he who strengthens us and protects us, protects us as a church, as individuals. He hath blessed thy children within thee. It's only he who blesses us and our children. And consider the, the blessings of a godly home. I mean, I grew up in a half and half home, okay? Dad was a drunkard. My mom was a Christian. Some other people grew up in completely dysfunctional homes, and we see the results of that and the mess it makes in people's lives, and we forget the the blessing God gives in a Christian home. He makes peace in thy borders. It's only he who gives us peace in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, gives us the ability to get along. It comes from him. He filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. He supplies us with the best food ever. And our memory work at Strawsbury again, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted? Well, eat of the finest of the wheat, whether it's milk, but anyway. But he gives us the best. Verses 15 to 18. He allows the difficult times. You've got the snow like wool, the hoarfrost, the ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? Well, I preached this at Strasburg, and it was like the week after we had those real low temperatures. It fit better then, but anyway. The difficult times. The blizzards, the ice storms, the hail. Well, the bumps are what we climb on, right? It's the difficult times that bring growth. And so we praise him even in them. That's a New Testament teaching too. And then verse 19 and 20. Oh, by the way, verse 18, he sends the warm breeze and he melts them. They don't last forever. He brings us through and brings us out the other side. That's our God. He's our God. We are his people. He's working in us to, to bring, out, bring about his glory and his will and our good in that. 
Verses 19 and 20, he is our God. He's given us his word. He's shown us how to live. He hasn't done so with the world. Well, we could say, yes, the gospel is going out, but no, they don't understand. They don't take it. We know that. We see that. They don't receive it far too often. They don't know him. He's given us his book, his spirit, his people, his promises, so we praise him. All right. Notice a little bit the last verses of uh, each of these stanzas. In stanza one, verse six is the last. It seems like it kind of comes down to a, a personal thing at the, right at the end of each of these. The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Verse 11 is the end of the second stanza. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. The meek, those who are fearing him and, and realizing their sinfulness and looking to him. Here's a God that is worthy of love, praise, and trust. Here's a God before whom we are nothing. We can do nothing. We're lost. We're helpless. We're hopeless without him. But he loves it when we fear him, when we recognize that's exactly where we are and we come to him to get what we need. And he loves to show us mercy. And then verses 19 and 20, he's given us his word. We are people of the book. He's spoken. He hasn't been quiet. He hasn't left us in the dark about how to live and to, how to go about being meek and trusting him. Here's a God whose word is completely true. It's absolutely trustworthy, whose word will stand no matter what. But only those who fear him, who in meekness turn to him in faith, believing the book, believing him, receive his mercy. But God claims those kind of people as his own, his very own dear possession. So will we fear him? Will we believe? Will we, in meekness, turn to him and, and live our lives, take our lives on this word? And it's not just this. It's the man, Christ Jesus, behind it, the Son of God, God himself. Will we turn to him with our broken hearts, our wounds, our baggage? Or are we going to run off to the world and, and their ideas of how to deal with those things? The psychologists and the counselors and the wonder cures and the self-help books and whatever. Will we seek him for his infinite wisdom in bringing up our children? Or are we going to go to Dr. Spock and his ilk? Everybody that's out there telling us how to do it. And by the way, they're making a real mess of it. And what? Some of us are taking in a little too much of some of that, I think. Will we take his ways? Will we believe him? Or will we proudly figure, we can figure it out. Will we humble ourselves and take up the cross, denying ourselves, seeking only him, only his kingdom? Above everything else, <laughs> seek ye first the kingdom of God. Are we going to hang on to our measly little ideas and 
ways of doing things. We're going to run after the almighty dollar. Will we trust him? This one who feeds and cares for all living things, the one who's got a billion trillion stars in his control. Will we trust him to know what he's doing? Will we trust him to send the springs all, even while we're in the middle of the blizzard? Can we rejoice in him, worship him, praise him, even as we shiver? Can we sing while we're in the stocks? Will we set our hearts on fearing him and hoping in him so that he will rejoice in us? Or will we try to find our satisfaction in the old husk and shells lying about us here? It is good to praise God. It is good to praise God. Will we look at circumstances, our own baggage, or anything around us and let that distract us from praising and worshiping our God? Or will we look to him and determine we will praise him, we will live for him, we will serve him? Will we commit ourselves to reading his word, knowing him, loving him, obeying him? And will we let him give us peace as we refuse to worry, choose to trust, and to commit our lives to him in praise and in obedience. It's a good thing to praise God.